You're listening to the Weekly Sermon Podcast from Trinity Church Denver. To find out more about Trinity, visit our website, trinitychurchdenver.org. This battle isn't a fleshy battle. Um, This battle is not one with AR-15s and knives and swords and body armor. It is a battle in which um, we are to be marked most, um, most of all by faith, by clinging to the righteousness of God, by holding fast to the mercy of God, by clinging to the the words of God, and by bearing one weapon, the, the word of God itself. And most of all, as we saw at the end of Ephesians 6, that we are to be a people clothed this way, armed this way, and marked by praying that's always praying. <laughs> the phrase in Ephesians 6 is still one of my favorites. Pray as you're always praying. As if sometimes in the midst of prayer you forget that you're supposed to pray. No one else thinks it's funny. So, um, and, and so here is a call to live in the midst of the world, to live in the midst of God's enemies. Um, and yet Jesus prays that we'd be kept from the wiles of the devil. King James Version. And then, in the midst of that, how, what, what kind of things should we wear? We're going to be dressed for battle. But it's not a fleshy battle. It's a battle marked most deeply by faith, by clinging to the name of God, the righteousness of God, the mercy of God, bearing one weapon, the, wor- the, the very word of God. We're to bear that in the world. And that all of our life, dressed this way, is to be marked by prayer. Now, before we move on, I just want to give a quick pastoral word. Almost everything in Western Christendom is aimed, is marked by the temptation to avoid both of those things. Because this place in which God has called us to live and how he's called us to live is hard. It's tense. And so regularly Christians are confused by One, the nature of the battle that we're in, or two, that we're in a battle at all. We begin to fundamentally think that the war that we're participating in is political or social, and to forget that it's fundamentally and always spiritual. You understand that? I don't mean spiritual that never works its way out in politics or socially. But I mean a battle that is fundamentally spiritual and plays itself out in all of those other places. In other words, worship, entertainment, politics, social issues are all the fruits of a spiritual tree. And the mistake that many Christians make is they fight the battle with the fruit rather than understanding the battle is fundamentally to be fought by faith and wielding the word of God. The other temptation, other than misplacing or misunderstanding the nature of the battle, is to presume, and I think this is far more popular in our day and our particular city, is to presume that there's no battle at all. Or to presume that the battle is merely one going on in your heart. 
that we're largely at peace with the world, we're largely at peace in a world marked by unbelief, in a city marked by unbelief, overwhelmingly marked by unbelief. And that what we really have to do is just focus on our own hearts and not understand that, no, actually God has called us to be clothed with the clothes of battle. And he's called us to a place of warfare. And I would say this is a hard place to live. It's hard. It's hard to look at a world around us and, and not try to avoid conflict. But we don't like conflict. Many of us have been taught, whether it's in our families, where, where we've come from, or in churches, that conflict is bad. People are upset with you. It's your fault. God has called us into a place of conflict and it's imperative that we understand the nature of that conflict and that it is. And so with that established in the last two weeks, on the next two weeks we're going to look at a set of questions around what will this look like? What will it feel like? What will it be like to live this way? How do we interact with non-Christian neighbors and coworkers? What should our attitudes be towards one another and towards those who don't believe what we believe or maybe um, are openly hostile to what we believe? How do we live in the midst of this moment culturally being both courageous and faithful and humble? So that's the next two weeks and what should we expect it to be like? And so we're going to look with Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 2. In 2 Corinthians chapter 2, starting in verse 14, Paul gives us two metaphors that I want us to examine today to consider what does our life together look like as a community and what should, how should it be experienced by those outside of the church who don't believe or even hostile to what we believe is going on. And the two metaphors that Paul uses is one um, the, the metaphor of a victory parade, a Roman victory parade. And the second one is the metaphor of sacrifice. So I want to look at each of those in turn, and then kind of we're going to learn from them what we can. So look with me first at a victory parade or triumphal procession. Look at verse 14. But thanks be to God. Paul here is talking about going to different places, visiting different cities on his mission. And he says, but thanks be to God who is who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. So you, get, you actually get both metaphors right there in verse 14. Triumphal procession and this fragrance, which um, the word in the next verse is aroma, connotes this idea of smoke or, or incense or the smoke arising from a burning sacrifice. Let's look at each of these in turn. First, triumphal procession. What is a triumphal procession? Well, it's been a long time since the Broncos won the Super Bowl. But when they did win the Super Bowl, they had kind of a triumphal procession. There's actually one fundamental, or two really fundamental things missing from their triumphal procession. But you'll remember, after they won the Super Bowl, it's way back for many of you, 
My children could probably barely walk. Um, uh, the, the, they had a parade through the city. The Broncos, I guess most of them were riding various things, um, go through the city and they come at the, end of the, at the end of the parade and it ends at City Hall. People gave speeches and everybody cheered and a grand time was had by everyone. Um, so if you get that in your mind, um, in Rome when there was a triumphal procession, you had something like that only two additions to it, which are fundamental to understanding what this text would have to say to us. First, um, I forget who they beat. I really should know these things. Who did they beat? The Panthers? Yes, they destroyed the Panthers, those evil Panthers. Um, the Broncos in their parade, again, like everything's going, you would have the head coach in front marching um, with this triumphal parade, and there in the midst of the parade would be the Panthers, chained up, <laughs> heads down, and people throwing things at the Panthers as they walked through the city streets. And then when they got to the city hall, here's the second part that we're missing, um, the head coach of the Panthers would be killed. It's a little bit different than the Broncos parade, but similar in some really key ways, but missing two fundamental things. So in a triumphal procession, Rome conquers a people. And the general who led the army comes back to Rome or some other city. Um, and then uh, there is a parade, a celebration of his victory over the enemies of Rome. And marching in the midst of the parade, having stuff thrown at them, um, uh, is uh, a, a people, the people who've been conquered, um, uh, any enemy soldiers who were taken captive and captured, and they are then marched. Most of them will become slaves to Rome. And so what Paul says here is that thanks be to God who in Christ always leads who? Us. In triumphal procession. Do you get it? We are the conquered ones. We are the ones taken captive by Jesus. We are the ones that by his spirit and his power and his absolute sovereign mercy and grace has captured us. We are his servants. And everywhere we go, the, the, the metaphor that this speaks of is our life together in this city is a procession before all the citizens of Denver, Arvada, Lakewood, Wheat Ridge, all the variety of Aurora, all the variety of, of suburbs and neighborhoods and places in which you live, in which God is marching us week after week after week through the streets of this city and in every office and every home, in every neighborhood, in, in all of these places, presenting us in his triumphal procession as a people who've been absolutely conquered by Jesus Christ. Captured by him. Servants of him. This is, this is the definition of Christian mission. This is the mark fundamentally of what it means to be the people of God in the midst of an unbelieving and secular city. Second, 
But we are a sacrifice. Remember Paul in Romans 12, um, present yourselves a living sacrifice, a, a burnt offering in the presence of God, that our lives are to be as a burnt offering, um, and, and this aroma arises to God, where we offer ourselves completely to God, our whole life is His, um, and this then creates as this prayer, this life, this life of worship, this life completely devoted to our king and our master and our conqueror, um, um, this life then arises as a kind of aroma um, as the city watches, as your neighbors watch, as your coworkers watch, as your unbelieving friends watch. Paul says to some, it smells like death. And to others, it smells like life. So, given those two metaphors, I want to ask the question, kind of looking here at the text, what do a people conquered by Jesus, what do they look like? But what should mark our life in the midst of God's enemies, what, what should mark us? Should it be vindictiveness, backbiting, envy, greed, sternness? I'm going to make a stern face. What should it be? Well, let's look. First, thanks be to God. First thing I would say is is we should be a people marked most deeply by gratitude, which I would say is the, the, the fruit of a life clothed in the things that Jesus clothes us in, as we saw in Ephesians 6. Like if you're a people who trust in the covenant faithfulness of God and his mercy towards us and his righteousness and you're sealed with those things and you're protected by those things and you're marked by those things, then the fundamental orientation of your life, no matter your circumstances, will be one of gratitude. Thanksgiving. And we see this throughout the New Testament that that one of the Hallmarks. One of the things that most deeply marks the people of God is that we are a people who, who just can't stop giving thanks to God. In other words, we're not a complaining people. We're a grateful people. And a grateful people are a happy people. A grateful people are a generous people. A grateful people are, 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 are filled with hope, with faith. Because the God who has provided again and again, the the God who has met us again and again, will surely keep his promises. And so we are a grateful people. I think it's fascinating, interesting, that that, um, just before this section that begins in verse 12, you have in verses 5 through 11, um, Paul's testament. Here here is um, the background of this is a man trying to divide the church, uh, a man... uh, slandering Paul. Um, He writes to the church. The church uh, stands against this man's slander. And then Paul then writes again and asks them to forgive him. So there will be a people who are marked by gratitude and a people 
among whom forgiveness overflows. Here's not a vindictive people. Here's not a stern people. Here's a people who are marked by joy and gratitude and a people who are marked by forgiveness and eagerness to forgive. Fathers, have you taught your children forgiveness? What that looks like in practice. Have you taught them what it means to seek forgiveness? Have you taught them what it means to grant forgiveness? We're to be a people who quickly and easily let go of things, um, let go of the sins of others against us. Quick to forgive, quick to let go, quick to release people from their debts to us. So are people marked by gratitude, People marked by forgiveness. In this text, we can find other things, other places in the New Testament, but at least as far as this text goes. Um, we are not like so many peddlers of God's word. This word peddler, and the picture here is a guy out on the street selling his wares. I'm taking the word of God, taking maybe even animal, chopping it up, giving you certain parts of it and not other parts of it. Trying to make a sell, close the deal. Paul says we are not those who peddle, who cut up, who curb, who hide, who put away certain parts of God's word while presenting other parts of God's word. We are not peddlers of the words of God. We give the whole thing. And this is born out of a absolute loyalty to Jesus. We are a fiercely loyal people, absolutely loyal to Jesus, belonging to Jesus, conquered by Jesus. And because of that, we cannot negotiate about the words of God. We hold to all of them. We speak all of them. We believe all of them. And we believe that all of them are taken up by the Spirit of God to take those who are dead and make them alive. And I'm afraid that many of us have learned um, to decide or to peddle God's word, and we've learned it from pastors who peddle God's word. Deciding beforehand what people should hear and not hear. And not just in content, although absolutely in content, but in tone. We speak what the Bible says and we speak the way the Bible says it. And we present all of it as those fiercely loyal to Jesus, belonging to Jesus, conquered by Jesus. And we do not alter it. We do not change it. We do not hide it. We do not cut certain parts out of it. 
Famously, Benjamin Franklin had a Bible and cut out every part that he found incomprehensible. I'm afraid that often as Christians, um, testifying to, believing, bearing witness to what the scriptures say, um, or or maybe listening to other preachers, um, we get uncomfortable with certain parts when it's presented because they feel incomprehensible um, to unbelieving secular neighbors. But we forget ourselves. We forget ourselves. We do not belong to our neighbors. We belong to Jesus. We have been conquered by Jesus. We've been captured by Jesus. He is our Lord. He is our master. He is our king. And his word stands. And so we become, and notice that this this text is not individualistic. It speaks of the church. It speaks of the people of God, of us, of we, who are led in triumphal procession. And so what does it look like to stand in the midst of Denver and Boulder and Arvada and Lakewood and Wheat Ridge and Aurora and all these different places? What does it mean for us right now in this building downtown Denver, half a block from the state capitol. Um, but what does it look like? Is it we become, we are a culture, a people, a community, captivated by, conquered by, belonging wholly to Jesus, living, building, marrying, making love, raising children, managing, making art, medicaling, or doctoring. Nursing. I just tried to capture all of it. Medicaling, eating, and drinking, and praying, and singing in the midst of the world, and doing all of it according to God's words. Doing all of it marked by gratitude for Jesus' triumph. Um, gratitude for Jesus' gracious rule over us. Um, d- doing all of it as a people eager to forgive because we know and we are, are humbled by and marked by the forgiveness that has been granted to us and is granted to us again and again and again and again by our tri- triumphant Lord Jesus. So we build that kind of church, we build that kind of community, that kind of, those kinds of families and marriages and friendships. We build those kinds of businesses. We live out that kind of life in the midst of this city, in the midst of all of these companies and all of these neighborhoods and all of these apartment buildings. We do that faithfully, diligently, armored up, bearing the word of God, And understanding the conflict to which we've been called and what's the result. Look with me. Please look with me. We are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved. I want you to get the appropriate orientation. The fundamental orientation of your life and this kind of faithfulness is to God. It is to God. You belong to God. Your life belongs to God. And so first and foremost, your fundamental consideration is to God. I I used to work at a camp, and at this camp, uh, this guy who worked at the camp, um, hoops, um, every year had a shirt, and he would just have the same, he'd have 10 shirts made, 
I mean, he would wear the same shirt every day and just wash them, I think. Um, and every year he had like some cool, cheesy Christian phrase on his shirt. And the year I met Hoops, <coughs> his shirt said, audience of one. So cheesy. Like terrible cheesy, right? And absolutely true according to this text. We are the aroma of Christ to God among two groups of people. So our orientation in this faithfulness is always primarily concerned with God. We need to be aware of the fact that we're doing that, where our lives are being burned up in, these, in the way that I just described to God among two groups of people. Describing now two groups of people who aren't yet being led in triumphal procession, but are observing, smelling it. There are those who are being saved and those who are perishing. So in the city of Denver right now, we're called to seek to live this kind of life. Life under the triumphal reign of Jesus, as a people conquered by Jesus. Our marriages and our work, raising our kids with roommates, Medically, I'm going to keep saying that. Doing all this stuff. Two groups of people are watching that happen. Those who are perishing, who are finding and pursuing, being consumed by death forever and ever and ever, who will only know the wrath of God and are being sealed in that forever. And... It's not all dark. Those who are finding life are being made alive. So, a couple of things. This is, let me take it a little step further. It says, um, to one a fragrance from death to death. So there's people in this city, people in your neighborhood, who smell you. Not like a teenage boy, smell you, but like smell this life, this kind of life lived before God. And it smells like death to them. Have you ever smelled death? It's repulsive. It, it, it makes you want to throw up. You hate it. You, you, you want to get away from it as fast as you can. In other words, there's no kind of neutral response to the smell of death, right? If you walk into a room and there's been a dead animal in that room for several days, you, you get out of the room. You hate it. It's a visceral reaction to death. There are those who smell this kind of life, a people who belong utterly to Jesus and, and are loyal to everything that God has said in his words, and it smells to them like walking into a small, uh, uh, maybe a shed where there's been a dead raccoon for a week. They hate it. 
They despise it. They want to get as far away from it as possible. And the temptation in this day, this age, I think particularly in our city, it is to peddle the word of God, um, to curb certain convictions that we hold because of the word of God, um, to, to, to kind of perfume the thing so that it doesn't quite smell that bad anymore. It smells less bad. But we forget ourselves. Paul says here is that loyalty to Jesus, being conquered by Jesus, um, lives lived in absolute conformity to the rule and the reign of Jesus. Faith in Jesus will be absolutely repulsive to many. But to others, oh, to others. They will see this kind of life. They will smell this kind of life. Uh, maybe they'll show up here on a Sunday and sit in the back and, and think you're weird. They'll totally think I'm normal. Um, they'll think you're odd a little bit. But, but it will have something like the aroma of life to them. It, it will be a means that actually leads them to life itself. As they begin to see and behold a people um, um, uh, enthralled with the conquering power of Jesus, um, undone by the beauty of Jesus, they begin to see a kind of life born out of that gospel. And it will smell like life to them. And it says here, it will smell like life and it will lead to life. So as we live out this kind of life in the midst of the world, there will be those who are disgusted by it. They hate it. And smelling it and seeing it will only further their descent into hell. It will smell like death and lead to death. Oh, but there are some who will smell it, and in God's mercy and grace, it will smell like life, and it will lead to life. It will lead to being born again. It will lead um, to them being conquered by Jesus. This is the life that God has called us to. Who is sufficient? For these things. Consider what this text is saying. As a people fiercely loyal to Jesus and his words, that faith, that ferocity, that commitment to, that love for conquering power of Jesus will lead to death for some and to life for some. Who is sufficient for these things? So we do not peddle God's word, but as men of sincerity, as a people commissioned by God, we speak in Christ in the sight of God. So let's pray. So, Father, we come again to this table. But we come to a table that marks your victory with the body and the blood of Jesus. Come to a table that marks our union with Jesus.
that we are a conquered people, but we are a people adopted. We are a people united with Jesus. We are a people who have become your sons and your daughters. We are a people who have been redeemed from slavery. And while we were yet your enemies, you died and you conquered us. Oh God, that that would cause us to marvel that all of our life would be saturated with gratitude. That even as we took up arms against you, you conquered us, not by destroying us, but by giving us life through the death of Jesus. God, may that cause us to sing as we eat and we drink this bread and this wine.